welcome to this week's edition of Freightonomics. Thank you for joining us this week. I'm Zach Strickland. This is Anthony Smith, lead economist and some other long title description uh, here at Freightwaves. And today we got a big show. We've got, of course, the illustrious Zach Rogers with special Dale guest Rogers. Dale the Rogers. One that started it all. <laughs> yeah, the the man that the man that started this whole Zach Rogers thing off. Dale Rogers. <laughs> his dad's going to join us today. Uh, to talk about all the upstream increases to prices and everything, uh, logistics managers index, of course, as usual, and uh, just talk about the current state of being in the logistics space. Um, along with that, uh, you know, you'll have your normal flow of the show. We'll get to talk about memes here in a minute, one of my favorite things to do, uh, as well as, you know, some of the more relevant stories of the day. Uh, we've got a few big stories going on, and Anthony, you'll tell us about the economics. Uh, we've had some economic releases over the last little bit, as well as give you guys an update on the freight market before we dive into things. So, Anthony, did I miss anything? I don't think you missed anything. Oh, wait, one thing. We are streaming on our platform. So if you happen to be watching at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Thursdays, we are streaming live. So if you see us pop up on your LinkedIn, feel free to comment and join in on the conversation. I think we're also on Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, or you can catch us later on if you want to just stream it later on. We're on all your favorite platforms. That's yeah, about it. Yeah, you've got a, you know, we don't have the rain pounding on the roof like we did last week, uh, you know, distracting us. But, uh, you know, this week is another week. We're in June now, Anthony, June. We're pretty deep in June uh, yeah. at that. So, I mean, it's, you know, so far the freight market has not really shocked us. Uh, I think the economy is still giving it enough problems as it is, you know, with this big restart to the uh, to the engine, we haven't seen uh, a lot of volatility here mm -hmm. over the last bit. Things are kind of still ramping up. Employment's coming down, or employment uh, unemployment's coming down, I should say. <laughs> uh, the industrial sector is still cranking. We've got oil prices creeping on up there, uh, putting some pressure on things. But that's also, you know, we've talked about this in the past with John Kingston. Uh, when the oil market domestically is doing well, that leads to better trucking economy, yeah. uh, a better trucking economy. And the flatbed tender rejection index, your favorite thing. We were talking about it this morning on Freightways Now, uh, up around 30% still. Yeah. So flatbedder's your cousin. Yeah, that's uh, right. He's living that dream right now. He's got plenty of options. Uh, industrial sector's cranking. But without further ado, let's get this show cranking with some memes. Do it. Let's do it. All right. Do so it. You pick some out for us. Yeah, I did. I did this part today. <laughs> I, I picked out some memes. Let's get it started. This is this one's really more personal for uh, for me uh, because I have obviously uh, a, th a thing for memes. And, <laughs> you know, I'm here to talk about your meme addiction. Do you have a moment? Sure. Come have a seat. Probably. Are there any memes on here that you're missing that we're missing that you really miss? I don't know if there's any that I'm missing. Might be some that I'm not familiar with. I think so. I, I get the baby Yoda. I still baby Yoda. We got Bernie. Thing. We got Kermit drinking the twisted tea. <laughs> but I don't know anything about that. That's great. The Jim Halpert staring through the blinds. Who's um, staring through the blinds? Jim Halpert from The Office. Show's overrated. But oh yeah. Oh my goodness. Here got we go. you. Got you. Everything else go. pretty much makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I do have an addiction to memes, and you should too. <laughs> the best way to communicate nowadays. So uh, let's let's get into more topical memeing uh, going on. You know, one of the big themes has been prices are increasing. You've talked about this extensively over the last little bit. 
why why wouldn't we have a winter is coming meme with uh, the Game of Thrones? Did you watch Game of Thrones? I watched it for the first time last year. I was ushered through the entire seasons. I made it through the season finality or finale finality. Um, <laughs> but I did watch it, so this one actually makes sense to me. And yes, brace yourself. A price increase is coming, and that goes for everything. 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 If you're thinking, of, like, what do you mean for manufacturers? Yes. For consumer goods? Yes. Everything. <laughs> Everything's getting more expensive, and I don't know if people care or not. They, they don't seem to. It hasn't no. slowed down consumer demand or your consumer feelings that you're so concerned about. There's like a slight dip and a lot of, some, a lot of like speculation around some of it's due to inflationary pressures, but I don't think they care that much. Like, like you said, consumer is still going rampant. I mean, they're spinning <sighs> like crazy. Where is uh, this money coming from, Anthony? <sighs> government. Government. <laughs> they're not working, uh, or not all of them are working. I mean, I, we're working, but there's, I, I don't understand how long it can last. Anyway, let's, the next meme we've got is the, uh, the Heath Ledger Joker meme. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you haven't seen this movie, please you know, go see this movie. This is the Dark Knight. Uh, you know, this is one of the epic performances of the Joker. Uh, supplier increased by, price by 10%. Nobody bats an eye. We increased by 3%. Everyone loses their mind. Now, this, in my mind, is the, of course, retailer distributor that's paying for more, uh, you know, upstream product uh, cost. That producer price index that you, uh, you talk about, those are those inputs. Those are the things that go into the product, the semiconductors that are going into the computers and the cars and all that kind of stuff. Those increases have gone up yeah. tremendously this year, but they haven't manifested themselves all the way to the end product yet yeah yeah and brace yourself it's it's only a matter of time they're they're not all going to swallow those costs uh you know the procter and gambles of the world have already kind of passed along a lot of those uh costs into your everyday products you probably haven't even noticed i know i don't look at the price of toothpaste when i go buy it yeah and that's going to be an interesting thing I, I when we do have zach rogers on we got to talk about chipotle burritos he had an interesting point about that but yeah i mean there are price increases that we just kind of accept and it is what it is. And I was going to a, uh, a barbecue joint uh, this last weekend mm -hmm. and they, I noticed that their price, the only reason I knew that the prices increased was on their little board. They, the prices were like, you know, $5 and 37 cents. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like some four ninety nine. Gotcha. We're talking about like, you know, the price of brisket. Now, if you've tried to buy beef at this point, yeah. Nah, you don't do that. Nah. Don't, I forgot you don't like food. Uh, we'll, Overrated. We'll leave it at that. Uh, let's get on to our last meme of the day. Uh, one does not simply increase the price of a good or service without losing the demand from a consumer. Is this an accurate meme, Anthony Smith? <sighs> Some time ago, I would say it was accurate. But and right now, as we're speaking presently, demand is still high. I mean, it maybe depends on the industry. With the economics, you go say, well, it depends. But with <laughs> this one, I'm just like, eh. There seems to be some, you know, elasticity is not the same as it used to be at this present moment. Elasticity? We're not talking about rubber bands. Oh, man. We got to do a what economics <laughs> about elasticity. Or an economy lately. An economy lately about your elasticity. Elasticity. Using those economy lately, if you haven't big seen it, PhD words, uh, you know, you're not impressing me. No, no, no. That might even be... <laughs> advanced high school or freshman college. I don't know. I don't know. I, I still learned how to read. That's all. That's as far as I got. Um, yeah. So, you know, prices are increasing. 
it's coming. It's only a matter of time before it slows things down to an extent, mainly because I think people are just going to run out of steam about purchasing stuff. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm wrong there. What do you think? Like, we've got the American public. We've got Prime Day in June coming up. That's going to be a telling event uh, just to see how much they're still willing to spend. You know, we had everybody living in their house the last year. We thought that that would slow down mm-hmm. as we've seen the restrictions ease. We're almost fully out of it down here in the South, uh, I think. I think there's places in the Midwest and Northeast that are still kind of holding on to some of those restrictions. But I know Chicago is wide open now. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of the biggest, hardest hit areas of the country. So, Well, I think uh, that's that's an interesting point because I've heard this one often and it's, well, Americans can only buy so much. You can only get so much stuff, right, until you're all satisfied. Are and we? I think <laughs> that's, there's something to it, but we're Americans, so like, can we buy enough stuff to like where we're actually satisfied? Or is the market just going to kind of keep pulling in stuff and then maybe we see like this more, I don't know, robust used market for goods or maybe we even see these bubbles like we saw a bubble with hand sanitizer. Right. Is there going to be a bubble after certain products get pulled forward and now people have moved on to something else and it's no longer in hot demand anymore? Like, is there now a big bubble of masks that people aren't, you know, really demanding anymore or is there going to be it'll be cool if there was a bubble of cars like new cars <laughs> bubble and, of new cars you're like all right we got these semiconductors everyone you still want your cars right you know there's like a bubble of like i don't know audi r8s or lamborghinis can or, we not just have like a consistent demand growth curve or is that not <laughs> okay <laughs> all right all right all right i'll move off of it but speaking of cars let's move on to our newsonomics our yes. stories of the day so these are the ones that we pick out that we find most interesting really <laughs> yeah uh they may be more relevant to some other people but they're definitely the ones that we find the most interesting this one <laughs> this you picked these out today and you did a fantastic job <laughs> because the first story of the day uh Flying cars set for slow takeoff, rapid ascent. Uh, this is tremendous. This is, yeah. uh, I believe, was it Brian Strait? Brian Strait put this took, one out. Took this one on. Uh, go check this out on FreightWaves.com. I have been waiting for flying cars mm-hmm. for so long. Now, we're not talking about, you know, the traditional, like, you know, Jetsons hopping in your vehicle. You know, a little beep, 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 beep thing where everybody just tops in their car. This is more like an Uber situation yeah. uh, where you have these electronic drone taxi type things. They're, they hover, you know, vertically, take off uh, and land, uh, you know, so it's more like a hovercraft type deal that they go to a certain elevation. By 2040, 2050, so it's still a ways away. I may get to get in one when I'm, you know, I really need to get in one, like way back, way after I'm retired, hopefully. Uh, and, uh, you know, but this is a far way off. What did you get out of this? Yeah, it was interesting to see, you know, that prediction of where we are, like you said, 2040, 2050. I mean, right now it kind of seems like it might be far ways away, but really in, in retrospect, I'm looking at it and thinking about it, that's not too far away, you know, 20, 30 years. The other thing I'm wondering about is like, like I said, it's not just going to be everyone just hovering around in cars, but, you know, these specialized services. Yep. Also thinking, I can't help but wonder how drones potentially are going to impact the laws around these flying cars or hovering cars, things like that, because that seems to be a huge undertaking as well. And if we're having these flying cars, is this all also going to be automated, like no pilot, because that seems to be the next road for on-road vehicles? So I have a lot of questions. Yeah, I think current conditions around 
autonomous vehicles, drones, are really going to kind of help shape how this is going to get regulated. But exciting to see that it's right around the corner. I'm waiting for cryogenic sleep to be a thing as well. Yeah, I know, I know you are because that's, that's how you're going. That's how you're going. You can go to cryogenic sleep here in a minute. Um, the uh, you know the the cool thing here is that you know this, this is going to probably have some sort of impact to freight. You know, as uh, they're not thinking that it's going to really impact you know, that delivery in cities or congested areas early on, it's going to be more that line haul, that long length of haul stuff, uh, depending on obviously some battery life and technological advancements during the next few years. But uh, they do see this being a thing, uh, which surprises me because of all the air traffic uh, control. So air cargo, to me, like that's going to have a huge impact there uh, if that becomes a thing. And of course, expedited service. Yeah. Uh, will definitely be involved in that. So now this next story is uh, very relevant to today. We're moving out of the future, getting into the present moment. Heartland, uh, better pay alone does not retain drivers, they found. Yeah. Uh, and that's, anybody that's been in the industry knows that this is true. Uh, this is absolute fact. You can't just simply give them wage increases and it makes everything like this. Quality of life is a big deal to drivers. A lot of them nowadays, there's that over the over the road cowboy is not really growing in population. Like the guy that wants to drive on the road and see the uh, United States uh, without seeing his family for weeks on end, that's dying off. Yeah, society is changing and shifting, so uh, they are wanting to stay home. They're wanting to get home more often. So this, you know, the freight that gets all the news is that Los Angeles to Chicago freight or Atlanta. Uh, to the Northeast freight, that's the type of freight that is keeping drivers away from home for periods of time, very unpredictable. Uh, so one of the things that they've done here is they figured out, hey, so you, we'll get you home time if that's the style you want to be, but that's not news. That's not a development. The real radical thing here is that they are going to now give them minimum pay. Mm. So instead of you, you know, most drivers are paid at a rate per mile basis. Yeah. So you don't get paid if you don't drive. Uh, that's great. You know, you know, right now when yeah. freight is prevalent, but when the market kind of slows down, uh, especially during periods like the winter storm event that they cite in the article here, um, that shut everybody down for a week, those drivers didn't get necessarily get paid at a lot of places because they were stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the winter storm freeze and uh, you know road conditions, and then again the shippers being shut down, they had no loads to move. Yeah. <laughs> So now they're guaranteed a certain minimum threshold, which I think this is a groundbreaking, uh, it's kind of like a duh, <laughs> you know, to me in terms of driver retention. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, first and foremost, is, it seems like drivers are almost always the last to know about certain things or maybe the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to like, hey, who do you care about in the transportation industry? It's drivers, like they run this entire thing and I, I don't think they get enough I say respect, or maybe they, they don't get enough, you know, involvement or consideration. So I'm glad to see this kind of planning out for drivers. Hopefully it does help with retention. Um, also like that drivers can kind of dictate their own, you know, I guess lifestyle and trajectory by just kind of jumping ship. If they don't see something I don't like, all right, someone else is going to take me on. And so I kind of like that autonomy for drivers, but glad to see improved conditions for drivers. And I think this is something that kind of goes across the board as we're looking at the reopening of the economy and more businesses looking for labor. We're going to get into mm -hmm. that a little bit later. Those incentives to kind of pull workers back into the workplace. And it's not just going to be limited to, you know, 
wages, but what other things are you going to do? Are you going to have um, these complete work remote uh, optionality options? Are you going to have, you know, you've seen in those tech worlds, like in Silicon Valley, they'll have a complete layout of food throughout the office, chefs on staff, things like that. But sometimes they only do dinner after you work a certain time. Like we only deliver dinner here after 8 p.m. So that means you have to work until 8 p.m. in order to kind of get that benefit. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of benefits and, you know, incentives are going to be put in place, not only within trucking and freight, but throughout the entire economy to kind of really pull those workers back into the workplace. Yeah, human capital uh, is starting to cost a little bit more and not just in the straightforward way that you imagine it being. I mean, what happened to the day of just like being able, just wanting a job so you can just get paid? Yeah. <laughs> That's a, Gonzo. Gone, gone. I, and we saw that as the government in certain areas of the country are now implementing uh, bonuses for people that go find work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what kind of world are we living in? Uh so this uh, next story here is, uh, you know, it, it's pretty interesting in terms of like uh, UPS, same day delivery. They're trying to get into this space. It's the one hole in their portfolio of service offerings that they haven't really penetrated just yet. They're talking about outsourcing it initially, uh, but they're exploring it. Same day delivery, of course, how, how quick do we need our stuff at this point? <laughs> like, I mean, it's obviously a huge deal uh, in terms of, you know, what, people can expect and offer. We're already kind of like running out of this brick and mortar style where it's kind of like, why do I need to get out of my house to get stuff? And now UPS is talking about, you know, developing same day delivery. Yeah. More like faster, more of it. Like that's. <laughs> yeah. And I think this is one of those things where it's an effect from pressure being applied by Amazon and it's Amazon it shows... effect. Exactly. Have you heard of this? <laughs> and it's like, it's not just Amazon applying pressure to, you know, brick and mortar and other e-commerce outlets, but really entire supply chain systems for those consumers and parcel delivery. And so when you look at what they were doing, especially when we're talking about um, their upcoming Amazon Prime Day, they're applying pressure to the entire industry to kind of, hey, keep up. And when they have their entire infrastructure built out in such a way that they can really increase these delivery speeds, now they're playing a game against UPS feels the pressure. So now they're going to try to get to that same day delivery. Next thing you know, we might even try to get into delivery within hours or 12-hour delivery, six-hour delivery. Then that's, I think, where we kind of see drones playing into that if we can kind of find a way to effectively, you know, have that implemented through FFA and... Um, I say FFA. FFA. FFA, Future Farmers of Future Farmers of America. Napoleon Dynamite reference there. So, yeah, I think it's it'll be interesting to see how this has an impact on freight flows, inventory management. We're going to talk to the Rogers boys about this here in a little bit. But let's move on to the economic releases. That's right. So kind of getting into what we're talking about a little bit earlier. Real quick, we have to touch on initial jobs claims. It is Thursday. So... We got initial jobless claims numbers, and we showed that 376,000 individuals applied for initial jobless claims. So this is another downward movement from the previous release of 385,000. So I believe this is the sixth consecutive week of downward movement, showing that there is consistent decline, thankfully, for those un in initial jobs claims, uninsured or insured benefits <laughs> coming through. Um, right. So that's good news. The, on the other side of this, we have uh, unemployment or 
job openings report that now shows in the latest report that there were 9.3 million job openings in the latest month of reports. So that I believe was for April, a little bit lag, but it shows a record number of openings right now, 9.3, which is close to the total estimate for unemployed Americans, which is at 9.8. So almost a dead even match. And when we're looking across the board, of course, we expect services, retail, hospitality, um, airport really to be one of those areas that are really in high demand, things that people are really rushing back to. They're rushing back to stores, mm -hmm. rushing back to eating out at restaurants, things like that. So those areas are in high demand. Also, those happen to be some of those areas that consumers don't want to go back to work at. Right. They've moved on. <laughs> They've moved on. And the other thing that I have to be, I have to mention that is in high demand for openings by sector is manufacturing. That's a huge one. A huge one. And it's the leading one right now as of the latest report. And that just shows what's going on upstream and those upstream constraints, not just from commodity shortages, but also those employment shortages. So there needs to be an influx of labor entering this segment overall. Yeah, and they, they have, they've moved on to other jobs, like the manufacturing sector, the fact that we're seeing this ramp up is that a really good sign for freight and people that are in that uh, space, but they're not going to have freight to move if people don't go and start producing exactly. and getting back to work and getting in, involved in that. So consumer price index. That's right. So consumer's price index, another release that we had in this latest month, and we see that the consumer price index moved up 0.6% which might not seem like much, but it is in the grand scheme of things as it keeps climbing higher and higher. And when we look at it on a year-over-year -year basis, 5% increase, and that's substantial. And does that include the, the baseline being lower last year? Mm. Okay, so that there is a little bit of a dip in the CPI uh, for April last year. So there is a little bit, it's not necessarily like a 5% straight up from like 2019 mm -hmm. uh, style levels. There is a little bit of a dip there. So that's, but still 5%. Still 5%, one of the fastest increases or paces for um, overall the CPI. And this is not, you know, we're looking at it as stripping out some of those more volatile seg uh, segments in it. So this is just straight up consumers are paying more. And do they care? <laughs> they don't. Not they don't yet at the moment, I don't think. Yeah. Well, let's get on into whatonomics. We've got a quick set uh, where we explain something that is, uh, you know, feel like you should know about if you don't and uh, give you a little bit more detail on how to use it and what to do with it. Anthony, this one is all you this week uh, as we talk about the mouthful here. <laughs> uh, non-defense capital goods, new orders, excluding aircraft. That's right. So we have <laughs> non-defense capital goods, new orders, excluding aircraft in this segment of what anomic soap. What is it? So non-defense capital goods, new orders, excluding aircraft. Let's just start with that mouthful of a name, non-defense mm -hmm. capital goods. Let's start with that part, non-defense. It's going to exclude defense orders. So defense orders which are coming from the government can be volatile and substantial, so they can cause large swings. Now we're looking at capital goods. You're looking at capital good orders, which coming are usually coming from businesses, ordering from other businesses. So it's indicative of business-to-business -business activity. We also exclude aircraft because those are also volatile and can create large um, large swings as well. So when looking at non-defense capital goods, new orders, excluding aircraft, we can see what's happening essentially at a very upstream level for business-to-business -business activity. And in the latest numbers we've seen, there have been, as you can see in the sonar chart on the screen, consistent rise for well over a year now for non-defense capital goods, showing that the momentum is indeed sustained and that there is a robust growth trend in place right now for business to business activity, which means 
despite the increase in price that we've seen in other measures like the ISM uh, price index component, that non-defense capital goods, that business-to-business -business activity is not slowing down. So that's what it is. Why it's important is because it shows the pace of business-to-business -business activity. I'm going to say that quite a few times throughout <laughs> the segment. And that's also going to show kind of the pace and growth of the industrial economy that's happening at the moment. And so that's kind of what it's telling us. That's what it shows us. You can kind of, you can also, if you're a Sonar user, use this and overlay it with our flatbed outbound tender rejection index because flatbed trailers are usually the trailer type or equipment type that's going to be used to haul a lot of these equipment goods. Yeah, so this is a great index to look at if you are looking at business activity. Uh, business activity, of course, is really a leading indicator for what's going on in the overall economy in terms of like if you're looking at orders, that's stuff that they are predicting they're going to need. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's a very good index uh, to look at in that regard. Also, it shows you the health of the business sector. They're doing great right now. The orders are going to go up. That's right. That's right. So non-defense company goes new orders excluding aircraft. Next time you see it, give it another glance, you know, check it out, see what's going on. And those orders, as you mentioned, turn into pro um, production. Turn into freight. They turn and into freight down the road. We yeah. got it. It looks like that trend looks like we're going to have freight coming out of our, our ears uh, all the way to the end of the year if That's these right. orders get fulfilled. So That's right. Production, then shipments, then you're off to go. There we go. So that was Whatonomics. Now let's move on to our special guests of the week. I know, I know they've been dying to jump in on this. Uh, we've got the illustrious Zach and Dale Rogers ready to give us some updates on that LMI. And let's first just ask them how they're doing. Hey guys, it's good to see you. You know, it's funny. I've been Zach too on this on this show for like a year, and now I'm also going to be Doctor Rogers too. Uh, and it's, it's, it's tough out here. I mean, well, it's and, and I, I appreciate getting invited to, um, uh, you know, the Freightonomics bring your father to work day. So <laughs> be part of that. Well, we are stoked to have you here and, you know, Zach has to play second fiddle to me all the time. Now he gets to play second fiddle to his dad. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, know your role, Zach, know your role. <laughs> the <freight laughs> <doctors> <laughs> So let's let's dive into things, uh, guys. I mean, it's the freight market's still super tight. Uh, we've still got a lot of action going on right now, uh, but the LMI didn't necessarily take a big jump uh, over the last bit. So are things kind of staying in the status quo? Well, you know, not exactly. So the the thing about the LMI, you have to remember, is that it's a change index. Right. And so yeah, the you know, and just for everyone who who is you know first time viewer. The LMI is a change index. Any number above 50 indicates growth. Any number below 50 indicates contraction uh, on a 0 to 100 scale. So this month's LMI came in around 71. Um, and that is down slightly from last month when it, it was just about 75. Now you can see 71 is still uh, probably a top five score all time in the five years that we've been doing this index. And what you have to remember is just because it went down from 75 to 71, that doesn't mean that logistics activity slowed down. It means that the rate of growth for logistics activity slowed down. So any number above 50 means growth. So 71 is still very significant levels of growth. It's just that the rate of growth uh, is down slightly from where it was in, in, uh, in April. Now, what's it being driven by? It's largely being driven. And, and here's, by the way, what's interesting. Here's why it's down. Okay, because prices are still very close to record highs. I think both inventory 
and warehouse uh, uh, price growth is off by about 0.1 or 0.2 from the all-time highs uh, for those indices. They're both in the, the 80s right now. The reason it's down is because inventory levels are down quite a bit. And what does that mean? We have less inventory? No, it means inventory is moving through faster. So inventory levels were like a 58. Oh, there you go. You guys are so, getting so good on this. It's a, it's a 58 uh, this month. And so what does that mean? It means that because demand is so high, the, the really high inventory levels that we had built up for a year are really starting to dip down. I mean, you can see where we were last fall and last spring when we just had this glut of inventory. And now it's moving really quickly. And so I think it's interesting when you see that inventory levels are low, but at the same time, warehouse capacity uh, is lower than it's almost ever been. Warehouse prices are very high. Inventory prices are very high. Really what this indicates isn't a slowdown. It just really indicates that things are moving more quickly, I think, than they have been over the last couple months. And there's another piece to this too, I think, which is uh, May is the middle month of the quarter. So you would expect to see it be a little bit different in the middle month of the quarter than either the first month or or definitely the, the, the final month of the quarter. That's part of it. But another thing true is, is based on like what Zach said, which is um, there isn't as much inventory available. You know, if you look at, you guys were talking about inflation uh, in the beginning of the show, which is really... Um, uh, an, an interesting discussion. And inflation right now isn't happening because of government spending. That's just not the case. You, you know, the all the government money that has been pumped into the economy really hasn't been pumped into the economy yet. It's really just numbers in a budget right now. Even some of the Trump money is still uh, not really in the economy yet. So, so the inflation is coming from where you classically would expect inflation to come from, which is lack of supply. So we had this weird thing happen where, um, uh, you know, that we had supply shocks in 2020, then it then followed quickly by a U.S. demand shock and then trying to catch up with those things. And um, and and so these supply shortages are going to last quite a while. I think the semiconductor one is probably at least a couple of years. And so it's likely we're going to see more inflation, primarily because of how the the supply and demand curves uh, have shifted um, a little bit over the, the last uh, year, uh, because, um, uh, you know, both the supply is less and then demand um, has been kind of up and down and you got pin up demand a lot of people didn't spend money you know I'm uh, um, on my first uh, uh, vacation um, in uh, a year and a half uh, uh, and, and I'm spending it with you guys this morning <laughs> um, so it's a first vacation a long time and so there's pent up demand we're gonna see a lot more spending people, haven't spent money the last um, uh, year and a half, and 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 because of the lack of supply, uh, the prices are going to continue to go up for the foreseeable future. Right, savings are high right now, and really, what the U.S. you know, Anthony, you were talking earlier about. Oh, it doesn't seem like demand slowing down, and we talked about this yesterday. 
people don't care that much about inflation. They care more about stagflation. So if everything's moving, right, if, if we have more money in our pockets, but the price of things are going up, it's not that big of a deal. So that, that's one of the big areas that we were talking about yesterday. And I think you really hit on a, another key point and really overall what's really moving some of these inflationary pressures and other part, people buying things. So one of the things that Zach and I was just talking about, or Z1, <laughs> Zach Strickland here, we're talking about was people buying stuff and that pent up demand. So do either of you see that these American people with this pent up demand are ever going to be satiated or really have enough stuff? Or is this demand, you think, really going to be kind of lasting throughout 2021 into 2022 and not really a, a, a decline in the demand for goods or maybe a slight shift of services, but really um, nothing overall to really kind of diminish the overall volumes that we're seeing right now? Did you just ask if Americans could have enough stuff? <laughs> I did. That's what I'm thinking. We've been, we've been talking about it all morning. Like, can, can they be satiated? I love it. Yeah. Well, no, no. The first answer is no, we're not. Um, but, you know, it's it goes to something you said earlier. You know, I think there's going to be, we've already seen an impact of this demand spike. You know, one of the other things we track beyond the, the LMI, we track the goods moving through the secondary market every year. You know, so so goods that are sold in, in off-price retailers or dollar stores, basically things that were either returned or, or overstocked or something. And it, last year, 2020, the secondary market was $670 billion, um, which was up about $40 billion from the year before and made up about 3% of, of GDP. And so what that indicates to me is that, no, it, it's not slowing down. And maybe we'll get rid of stuff and it will cycle through the economy and all the salvage dealers and everything. But it doesn't seem like there's going to be uh, there's going to be any slowdown. The other piece of that, and and you hinted on it with one of your two Sean Bean memes uh, from earlier today, is that a lot of it's not getting passed on to consumers. So a lot of these price changes, I mean, you know, we when when uh, when JBS had the the big cyber attack last week, they lost three days of meat production. The price of meat didn't change a cent in grocery stores, uh, partly because it was so short. They were able to just absorb all of the costs at the wholesale level and not increase it at the at the consumer level. And so I think, you know, because you guys are so plugged into like flatbed tender rejection rates, you can see and people in this industry can see the real sort of tumultuousness that's that's going on. But consumers can't necessarily see it. It's almost like, you know, it's like a, when a duck is going across the pond. The legs are going crazy underneath the water. That's the logistics industry. But <laughs> up top, it's just, you know, a duck happily floating along. And I think that's what a lot of consumers are seeing right now. And maybe if, if they start seeing the legs, things will change. But at this point, that doesn't look like it's happening. Plus, you know what else is kind of interesting is there's a huge amount of change happening in supply chains. So, uh, you know, over the last 10 years, there's been more supply chain disruptions than any period, and I'm old, so any period, certainly during my lifetime. And, and one of the big, uh, dis the biggest disruption, obviously, was COVID. But at the same time, those things were happening. The costs from Asia, particularly China, began to increase. So there's a lot of people doing analyses that show that, that the costs in Mexico are equal or lower than the costs of production in China. And, and so at the same time we're seeing all these things happen, um, uh, uh, these events and so on, 
that are disrupting uh, uh, supply chains. We're seeing people think, man, we need to we need to diversify not just our supplier base from having different suppliers, but we need to diversify geographically. So there's uh, uh, different modes of transportation that are likely going to be used. There's uh, new patterns of distribution and production taking place. And there's a bunch of stuff happening all at the same time that we're emerging from this pandemic that are creating sort of havoc with, uh, with supply and demand patterns. Yeah, so you're hitting on a really good point there, Dale, with this idea that we've had so much volatility in supply chain over the last 10 years, really the last three or four years has been one of the most insane for the supply chain and logistics industry. Uh, you know, we had trade wars, you know, oil, now we're, America's a huge oil producer, uh, all sorts of, you know, activity, you know, produce seasons are now a thing that, you know, common people know about that are outside the industry. Um, because of the volatility. Great time to start a TV channel about freight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that that helps. But the uh, this this concept of like you know coming out of the Great Recession, we had this period of kind of stable growth. It was like 2010 to 2015, uh, especially in the logistics space. But the economy itself grew at a very stable pace uh, coming out of that. Do you think that you know, especially after the last four or five years, do you think that is kind of going to be the exception? Do you think that we are going to enter this new era of where a pendulum is swinging into excessive growth and slowing, and we're just not going to see that level of consistency again, at least in the near term? Well, I, no, I, actually, I think there's a great chance that we'll have a new uh, sort of standard rate of growth that will be uh, a higher so another thing that that's happening that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I have this big project uh, in in Ghana, which is a, a country in in West Africa, and and if you look at consumers in in places where we usually didn't think about consumers too much, all of a sudden, you know, like in the last year, part a lot because of COVID, there are a ton of computers. PCs bought in Africa. And so, so we're, we're really moving to a new time of real global demand. Um, you know, we talk about global supply, but now, now we're really seeing global demand in places that traditionally haven't been able to have uh, global demand. Um, and and it, it's going to be great for the producing countries now is the U.S. going to be a producing country? That's another conversation, probably. But, but uh, you know, I think we're we're headed to a new uh, a level of, um, of of I I honestly believe in 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 the sort of chaos of the last. Uh, I'm not trying to be political here, but the chaos of the last four years with many supply chain disruptions and sort of erratic regulation making. Um, is probably going to subside to something more standard. You know, the criticism of the Obama administration was the growth was so low, but it was steady. And I think because of changes in, in global supply and demand patterns, we're going to have a higher level of growth that will probably be the norm. Now, eventually we're going to have another recession, maybe even a depression happen in the next 30 years. 
I'll be dead maybe by the time <laughs> it happens. But but we're 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 going to we're we're I think we're entering into a really uh, uh, interesting and 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 great time on a global basis. So I, that's one of the areas I kind of want to touch on. I know Zach, you you mentioned a little bit of bit about it a little bit earlier, the changes within the industry, and I think one of those big changes that's really driving a lot of initiative throughout the industry is warehousing. Can you guys touch on the changes within warehousing? Not that capacity isn't exactly a thing or or a huge issue, or inventory levels aren't being a huge issue, but just the way that we're needing to utilize these warehouse spaces. Absolutely. So, um, you know, inventory is moving really, really quickly. And you you were both talking about in the beginning, UPS wants to do next day delivery. And everyone is sort of moving to the same, same day delivery, true day delivery. So how do you do that? Well, you have warehouses that are close to people. Um, and the problem with that is that people live in more expensive places than warehouses have traditionally been. So you're going from rural areas out in the middle of nowhere to uh, to to more expensive maybe urban areas, and that's going to I think cause sort of a reimagining of what a warehouse can be. Um, you know, you're already seeing multi-story warehouses and things like this, but we really have to figure out how to utilize the space that we have. And what a warehouse is is really the lines are blurring. You know, today Kroger made their first drone delivery from a a grocery store. Um, now they, the drone, I saw the video and they dropped it from about 10 feet above the guy's lawn. So don't get eggs on the Kroger drone delivery. Um, but it's, it's changing to where, what a warehouse is, things are going to be fulfilled at the store. It's getting really to a true omni-channel, um, sort of situation where instead of having maybe big warehouses out in the middle of nowhere, you have a bunch of little warehouses and we have these sort of, you know, micro fulfillment centers all over the place. And that's really the only way that we're going to be able to get to that really quick uh, last mile uh, delivery and service levels people uh, expect. You put the, the warehouse capacity graph up. It was 48 uh, this month, which means contraction. It's essentially been contracting um, since last year, uh, since, since about the beginning of the pandemic. It went over 50. I think it was at 50 maybe once or twice, uh, maybe in July. Uh, but it was barely growing at all. It might have been like a 51. And so it's essentially been contracting for the last year. And it's because the warehouses we need, what a warehouse is, is really changing. Of course, then we see that reflected in in price, uh, which was, I think, around an 83 this month, which is the second highest uh, reading we've ever had in warehouse price, second only to the rate of growth from last month. And so, you know, three months in a row, we've been in the 80s. Um, Essentially, the way warehouses work, one, it's it's not going to um, be able to fill consumer demand, and two, it's getting really, really expensive. And I think we'll really think about warehousing and the way networks are are set up is sort of pre-COVID and then kind of post-COVID. And we're in a we're in a tough spot right now because consumer demand is post-COVID. <laughs> Warehouse network networks are still set up pre-COVID. It's like, you know, when you go to a war, you go with the army from the last war. That's what's happening in supply chains right now. And so we're going to have to change uh, the way we situate these to fight the next war. And, and also remember that warehouse capacity, our warehouse capacity figure is not that people are getting rid of warehouses when it's declining. It's just that capacity is harder to find. So so uh, uh, there's there's not enough warehouses as we see these shifts that Zach's talking about. 
Yeah, so the I think this is a huge topic, especially as over the next several years, we're going to see where how like the fulfillment center thing is going to grow. You're going to see people start to, you know, we've already seen population movement into the rural areas. Uh, so that's going to change the dynamic as well. So we have all sorts of moving parts uh, in this space. And I guess one of my biggest questions is how do you think this is going to impact? Like, you know, we have these giant warehouse distribution networks you know, where we see Ontario, California, Fontana has just a sea of warehouses, uh, you know, and all these carriers and, and truckload operators know exactly where these are. It's very centralized. So you see these big movements going from Ontario to Atlanta to get distributed to the, to the East Coast or Chicago. We have the rail movement there, the biggest rail lane in the United States, uh, Los Angeles to Chicago. Do you think over the next couple of years, that this is going to have a pretty significant impact to how carriers operate and how they uh, build their networks out as well? Yes, yes. Y you know, Zach, I've been teaching for more than 30 years the square root law, which says that the amount of uh, inventory you have in the system increases at the square root of the number of facilities. So if you go from one facility centrally located to four facilities, square root of four is two, you double the amount of inventory you need to get the same customer service level. But probably some of your viewers are, are familiar with that, something that all us old supply chain guys that uh, teach. Well, um, uh, we've seen over the last 30 years, certainly, consolidation of warehouse networks. You go back to 1990, a typical firm might have 15 warehouses across the country, and they've knocked that down to, to five. You know that you're going to have one in Indianapolis or Columbus. You're going to have one down where you guys are somewhere. You know, Chat the Chattanooga area, I used to go there every month for a warehousing company. Chattanooga area is uh, vibrant, filled with warehouses, as is Memphis and 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 even a little bit in some other places in, in Tennessee. And then Atlanta is huge. So you'd have you'd have a, a, a Midwest uh, solution. You'd have Atlanta. You'd have uh, some sort of West Coast solution like like Reno or Ontario or something. And then you would have Eastern Pennsylvania. So you're close to New York, New Jersey, without being in New York or New Jersey, and 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 that would be like the optimal, you know, trading off transportation costs versus inventory costs. Well, now we're saying that uh, overnight delivery, as as you guys have been talking about, overnight delivery is necessary, and 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 so we're we're increasing the number of facilities in a distribution network, and that's going to uh, jack up. Um, the amount of inventory in the system, there's going to be more stuff in there, and that's going to definitely impact transportation. Plus, um, uh, you know, your prob transportation costs have always been relatively cheap in the U.S., and and as you see transportation costs go up, that also increases the number of facilities, and it'll have a huge impact. It, you're you're going to see real pressure on on trucking companies to adapt to sort of these new structures where the 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 first you know the first company to really pioneer this was Amazon. We're gonna see a lot of followers here. 
And you're going to see an impact on the reverse side too, because you know e-commerce three, two to three times higher return rates, and we had the biggest returns uh, season ever in in January. And so if we increase everything, not only are the trucks going out, the trucks are going to have to come back to go to return centers or something. Uh, and so the prices are going to it's going to get squeezed on both sides of, of distribution. So speaking of future expectations, one of the LMI components that I love that you put out within the report is that future expectations report. And you have a really cool breakout with it as well, if I'm not mistaken. And that's going to go into upstream and downstream. Can you guys talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So one of the things that we ask everybody in uh, every month is, so over the next 12 months, where is everything going? And we break these out a lot of times into upstream and, and downstream. Downstream, which is the purple bars, in this graph are people like retailers, uh, consumer facing companies. The green bars are upstream firms. So wholesalers, manufacturers, maybe 3PLs and things like that. And we saw a split this month in terms of upstream expectations versus downstream expectations. That's unlike anything that we've seen uh, in the five years we've been doing this. So if you just look at the price metrics, Transportation prices, upstream is predicting 11 points higher. Warehousing prices, they're predicting 16 points higher. Inventory costs, they're predicting 11 points higher. All of those, by the way, are statistically significant. I ran some dorky analysis that we could talk about later if you want. Um, But what it shows, what it shows is that the upstream supply chain is probably going to be absorbing a lot of this cost. Uh, as we go forward, you know, retailers desperately don't want to pass anything on to consumers. They're going to try to stay lean. And so we're going to see this sort of, and I, I think it's two things. One, this capacity shortage is really hitting upstream. And the new things that are going to have to come online, the new, you know, capital like trucks and things like that are also going to have to come online upstream. And so going through the next year, it's really going to be pronounced uh, the shortage of capacity we have upstream. And this goes back to what we were saying a minute ago. Well, when will consumers respond? Consumers don't see these green bars. They only see the purple ones. And so, yes, we still have significant rates of growth um, uh, downstream, but it's going to be much greater upstream. And I will say, by the way, our future predictions, our our respondents are great. If you throw out, you know, like the month we got COVID, which, you know, that no one saw that coming. If you throw that out, though, our future respondents are about 90% accurate uh, with their, their future predictions. So it's going to be tough uh, upstream uh, for, for the, next, uh, the next 12 months at least. You, you know what else, Anthony, is, is uh, you guys were asking about, are we going to see uh, growth for the foreseeable future? That upstream number is so, those upstream numbers are so critical for projecting growth because the upstream part of the economy is way, way bigger than the downstream, which is what's included in GDP. And 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 just a, a real quick story about what we saw in 2019. So uh, do you remember in 2019, late 2019, both September and December, FedEx missed their um, quarterly earnings projection? So the, they had... Said, and remember that? Well, what did that tell us? That told us that the upstream economy, the business-to-business economy, was really eroding 
for on the trans in the transportation business with selected companies. It wasn't that FedEx was mismanaging their right. business. It was just that demand was eroding. And it's interesting that the um, pandemic actually had a very, I mean, it's ironic, I think, that the pandemic had um, a, a, a real increase effect um, of, of that upstream economy, which uh, in as we move into the later parts of 2021, two years later after the 2019 thing, that, that, that it's, it's, it's a dynamic and likely to be sustained growth and that really means healthy things. That's a that's a way that you can kind of tell what the growth is likely to be uh, in a longer term if that upstream growth um, is is high. That's right. Yeah. So we got time for probably one more question here uh, before we start to wrap things. And you guys are welcome to stay around. They just got here. I know. We're, we're, we we could do this all day, right? <laughs> but they only give us an hour. But uh, I, I got one more question for you, and then you're welcome to hang out for the debate uh, topic, which I know Zach loves to, to get in on. You're welcome to hang out for that before we close the show. But my one question is this, like, so why is it and how long will this persist that the, you know, the retailers or the, the producers will absorb all these costs before passing it along to the consumer? What are they so scared of? Uh, are they are they simply just scared of losing demand, or they don't know how to manage that offset? What what is that mechanic? Well, you don't want to be the first one to raise prices. You know, it's like when you know the the gas station wars, where there be two gas stations across the street. I don't want to go up until the the guy across the corner goes up because if I'm ten cents higher, everyone's going across the street. Uh, so that's I think that's a, a piece of it, and that might be sort of an old school uh, thinking. You know, I was telling Anthony uh, yesterday. You know, the price of, of burritos for Chipotle, which is something, by the way, that I'm very familiar with, burritos from Chipotle, they've gone, five years ago, they were like five thirty-five for the chicken burrito. Right now, it's more than $7. Until I saw a graph about that yesterday when I was you know doing burrito research, I had no idea. And I bought 100 burritos probably between that time. And so, you know, in some ways, the consumer doesn't notice small incremental movements um, but but you do you do notice big ones. And so if it's you know moving in the '90s, like we just saw in that last graph, it's really tough as a supply chain to pass those on uh, to, to pass those on to the consumer. And and one quick thing, there's also in most supply chains a damper effect on price changes that happens in one specific position in the supply chain, and that's the wholesaler slash distributor. One of the roles that distributors often play is is sort of eating the price increases from upstream and not really getting to pass them on to the downstream. Right. And so so most supply chains have that that middle people in the in the in the the, the middle of the supply chain that sort of dampen some of those uh, uh, changes. Yeah, because they're not the producer and they're not the seller. So the, if if that doesn't happen. The seller can find another way to get goods yeah. from the producer. Right. Well, they're kind of like the market, uh, the market maker in finance. Uh, they've got to set the price. Right. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, guys, thank you so much. Uh, you know, before we get into the debate, tell everybody where they can find you guys uh, and reach out to you. Right. So, so we post all the all the reports at the t h e lmi 
com. The reports come out on the first Tuesday uh, of every month, uh, bright and bright and early. I think they usually come out about 6 a.m. Uh, Eastern time. If you go to the website, you can see uh, all of the old versions of the reports. And uh, also, if, if you're interested and, and you want to take the survey, you know, send us a note. Uh, I'm at, at zsrogers at colostate.edu and and we'd be happy to, to talk to you and, and possibly add you to the respondent base. And it's free. That's true. It's free. It's free. We, don't, we don't sell your information. We don't have ads. This is a terrible business model. We're just putting information out for fun. We're just working. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, y'all want to stay around for the debate? We got a few minutes. Sure. We got about two and a half minutes. Sure. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there. You got a few seconds to respond. I'm going to throw it out there. I'll give you a, a second to respond. I'll start with Anthony first. There's a multiple choice question. What is the subscription service that you would save if you had to cut off all the others? And I'm going to give you five options. TV slash video, music, gaming, Amazon Prime, or wildcard, other. Anthony? I'm always for the wildcards, <laughs> but I'm going to save it for this one. I think I have to go with music. So movies, TV, streaming, it's great. It's cool. It's definitely been something awesome throughout 2020 and 2021. But I'm kind of not really into a lot of TV shows. Like, I'm really behind. So that's not a big thing for me. Music, I, I need it sometimes <laughs> when I am in the gym or just kind of driving around. So I'm going to go with music on that one. Amazon Prime, I can, if I really need it, I can drive somewhere to go get it if the store is open sometime now. that day. For, for now. now. For, for now. now. All right, Zach. Well, I get all my music and most of my TV through Amazon Prime, so I'm going to say Amazon Prime. So that's kind of an all the above. <laughs> I like it, Dale. Yeah, I, truthfully, I, I don't have a good answer for this. I'm really the same as Zach. I was thinking Amazon Prime was all of those those <laughs> things. So, yeah, me too. The power of Amazon. Yeah, I, I kind of land in the Amazon boat myself. I was thinking about it uh, when I first thought of it. I was like, I can actually get video through Amazon, music through Amazon. Uh, games through Amazon. I mean, name it. It's through Amazon. Uh, it's an Amazon world that we're living Ecosystem, in. Ecosystem. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like an Apple effect. <laughs> yeah, I was, well, I'm like, a generalist. You know, plus, plus, Anthony, sometimes Amazon's one of the sponsors of the show. So you got to think, don't, don't say, oh, I don't care about Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon, right where you at. <laughs> right. On. Well, thank you so much, guys. Uh, thanks for joining the show. Great stuff today. Um, and we'll see you next time. So, and thank you for watching. Uh, as we wrap things up, please download the Freightways TV app. Uh, check us out on all the podcast players, uh, Freightcasts. Uh, they have all of our podcasts and everything. So, Anthony, you got anything you want to tell everyone? Yeah, I want to tell everyone to drink more water. Thank you so much for tuning in. Also, we did those Freight 101 episodes early on, so that's evergreen. So, yeah, check out our earlier stuff.